Good morning, Goshen College. Good morning. Welcome to Convocation. My name is Suzanne East. I'm a professor of education. I'm also the core curriculum director, and it's in that latter role of core director that I get the privilege of working with our Convocation programming. The first two Wednesdays of this semester have been chapels. They have more of a faith formation and worship emphasis and are led by our stellar campus pastor, Jen Shank. This is our first Wednesday convocation. And convocation is a word that we do not hear a lot outside of higher ed spaces. So I think towards the start of the semester here, it bears repeating what it means and why we do this. Typically, a convocation refers to a somewhat formal assembly where a group of people are called to come together from their separate spaces into a common central space. What do we do when we get here? Sometimes we hear from students or faculty. Sometimes there's an outside speaker. Sometimes our content is thought-provoking and a bit academic, and sometimes it's inspiring or just downright funny. But regardless of the content, it's all held by a bigger purpose, and that is the ritual of coming together from our separate offices and spaces to be here together as Goshen College. So today, we come together to hear and honor one another's stories. Most of you have taken or taught our first year seminar, Identity, Culture, and Community, and so you're familiar with the assignment at the end of the course where we ask all students to tell a story that reveals something about their identities. Some of the stories are funny and lighthearted. Some of them are hard and downright heartbreaking. The power of the assignment isn't so much in the stellar individual story, but in the tapestry that's formed as story is layered upon story upon story, bringing together voices from different life contexts and perspectives. At the end of the semester, professors suggest first-year students from their classes to repeat their story here in Convo. And I am always impressed by the bravery of those first-year students who say yes. Yeah. So, being up here on the stage in front of y'all is a vulnerable space especially when you're revealing something about yourself. So I ask that you please respect our storytellers today by putting away homework, earbuds, and phones. Receive the stories being told to you as a gift, as a reminder that each one of us goes about our days with this world of experiences inside of us informing how we encounter one another and our work. We have five speakers and stories are between four and six minutes, so about 25 minutes of storytelling. After our fifth speaker, please hold your seats for a final wrap-up and dismissal. Would you help get us started in good spirit by applauding our first speaker as she comes up to the stage?
Good morning, everyone. My name is Andrea Hernandez Amaro. I am a first year and I'm a business major. Today, I would like everybody to reflect and think about your biggest struggle when you were eight years old. For some, it could be coloring in the lines. For others, it could be trying to multiply eight times three. For me, my biggest struggle was translating documents, such as insurance forms, to my parents from English to Spanish. My parents are Mexican immigrants who immigrated to the United States in pursuit of achieving a stable lifestyle and income, ultimately trying to pursue the American dream. But for most, the American dream is never attained. They came here with nothing, but they managed to live, they managed to build a stable life for me and my sister, and they did this all with very little English speaking skills. When I turned five, I was enrolled in Waterford Elementary School where I was put in special classes to help me improve my English since my first language is Spanish. Fortunately for me, I was able to retain information fairly quickly, so I only had to take these classes for about a year to a year and a half. And because of this, my parents thought that I was some super genius kid, a miracle sent from heaven, who understood both English and Spanish, making me their personal translator. When I was about eight, I was in my room drawing next to my window and then all of a sudden my mom rushes into my room and she shoves a phone into my face. She's like, take the phone! And I'm like, what? She's like, answer the phone! And I'm like, okay. So I answer the phone and I'm like, hello? Hello? And I'm like, hello? He's like, hello, is this Maria? And I'm like, nope, it's Andrea. He's like, okay. Well, you need to tell Maria that if she doesn't pay this insurance form, this is gonna be really bad for her. <laughs> Super important information that I didn't understand because I was a kid. I was like, okay, um, what does that mean? What do you mean, what does that mean? How, how old are you? I need an adult. I need someone who understands English. Is there anybody who can help you, who can do that for you? And I'm like, nope, it's just me. There's no one else. He's like, honey, that's not okay. I, Blah, 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 more important information that I didn't understand. He's like, tell your mom this, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, mom? She's like, what, what'd he say? What does he want me to do? And I'm like, mom, I don't know. He wants you to pay some insurance paper. I don't know what he's talking. I genuinely don't understand what he's saying. And she's like, Andrea, just, just answer the phone. And I'm like, okay. So I, I pick him up and I'm like, okay, I told her. And he was like, uh, okay. So since you're a kid, um, we need an adult, someone who can speak English, so we're gonna get a translator for you and we'll just get from right out. I'm like, okay. So the phone, the phone call ends and my mom's like, what do you say? And I'm like, I don't know. And she's like, Andrea, pues pa que vas a la escuela? Why do you go to school? And so their biggest concern and their philosophy was that I was taught everything in school, which is obviously not the case. But having this burden of being the one responsible for translating things made me resent my family and my culture. I didn't hate the fact that I was Mexican, but I just deeply wished I was white. Because if I were white, I would have the responsibility to translate for my family. If I were white, we probably would be living the American dream. If I were white, we wouldn't struggle living here with all these obstacles. If I were white, things would be different, better even. But I can't change that, 
so I continued to carry this burden for years. A couple years later, my aunt and I went to the B&B, and of course, I was there to translate. Not only was I my parents' translator, but I was everyone's. We sat down, and we overheard a worker talking in Spanish to a Mexican family, and I was incredibly relieved to hear that there was someone who was going to take my place, to take my role. And fortunately, we were next, and we got the lady who spoke Spanish. The funny thing was, the moment we sat down and said, hola, como estas, she talked to us in English, completely disregarding our Spanish introduction. The entirety of our conversation with that lady was me struggling and trying to find ways to articulate words from English to Spanish and from Spanish to English. And she saw me struggling, but she just refused to help me. And that made me realize that sometimes it's our own people who want to see us fail. I realized that I did not want to be like her. Yes, I saw translating as a burden, but at least I was helping my family. I have a gift, a skill that allows me to communicate in two different languages with many different cultures. I'm able to release the stress off my family. I'm able to make their lives easier. Now, I take so much pride in being Mexican because it's who I am. I'm someone who can help and alleviate the stress of language barriers. At my previous job, there are times where I saw Mexican families coming in with their children there to translate for them and seeing the utter fear in their eyes of not knowing what to do or not knowing what to say or why they were even there reminded me of my experiences. I loved unexpectedly saying, hola, como están, que les puedo ayudar? And then seeing the utter joy and relief in their eyes, knowing that there's someone who can help and someone who's on their side. A lot of times people are like, hablas espanol? I'm like, si, si hablas espanol? I'm like, oh, pues, no pareces, you don't look like it. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> but I take so much pride in being able to help my family, to help strangers. My struggles became my strengths. I will continue to help my people, mi gente, because I understand the, language, the, bur I understand the burden of language barriers. And to my people who resonate with me, I applaud you y les digo gracias. Growing up, rock music ruled our home like a god. It's associated with so many of my early childhood memories, like cleaning on Sunday mornings, family dinners, and road trips. Now, while I had probably heard it play on the radio many times before, I remember the first time I heard the song, Hotel California, by the Eagles on the radio. I asked my mom what the name of the song was, and immediately went home, found my iPod, plugged in my earbuds, and just listened for hours. The idea of driving down a dark desert highway with a cool wind in my hair was extremely appealing to me. Ever since I was little, I've always been told I'm an old soul, and I've longed for the times they sing about in the rock songs during the 60s and 70s, when counterculture was alive and well, a time where you took life as it came and you rolled on through whatever happened. Fast forward a few years later, my mom buys us tickets to go see the Rolling Stones for my 17th birthday. I was extremely excited. Our hotel sat right next to the train station. They would take us straight to the venue. So we are on our way. 
I was mesmerized from the opening chord of Jumpin' Jack Flash to 10 minutes after the show had ended, and I had tried to process that I had just seen my favorite band in the entire world. I tried to process the flow of vibrations and energy that filled the whole stadium with the sounds of live music and cheering fans. But unfortunately, all good things must come to an end. So we made our way to the train station platform and waited for every group of people to hop on. It seemed like it took hours before we finally fit in. And I remember looking down at my phone, seeing that it was midnight and realizing I had turned 17 on this train station platform. I told my mom, but we were both too exhausted to even care by that point. We finally made it onto the train around 1 a.m. And a few stops later, we see our hotel approaching. We gather our things, we head to the door, and we press the button to request to be let off. The train comes to a screeching halt, but the doors do not open. I desperately tried to get the attention of the train conductor, but she did not listen, and the train started moving. This is when our fear really started to set in. Eventually, a few more miles from our hotel and a few stops later, we finally got off the train. We were completely lost in the dark in a strange city, no businesses open, nowhere to go, hardly even a street lamp to light our way. So we had no choice but to just start walking the next few blocks. But eventually, we sat on the sidewalk feeling defeated after having exhausted all of our options. We finally resorted to just calling the police. Eventually, I saw the blue and red lights appear and I breathed a sigh of relief. I woke up the next morning and reflected on the crazy night we had had. Getting jostled in crowds of drunk people, being dropped off in the middle of nowhere at two o'clock in the morning, and ending up in the back of a police car. And I thought, it really was the most rock and roll way I could have had my birthday. <laughs> I've always felt too comfortable in the moment, and I've always had someone to show me the way, but this experience was really the first time where I took life as it came, and I rolled on through whatever happened. So I'd like to close with a little quote by ACDC, which is for those about to rock, we salute you. Thank you. While I was walking up here to reduce my social anxiety and to motivate myself, I started singing the theme song by Rocky Balboa. Dun -dun, dun -dun. <clears throat> anyway, for those who don't know me, and most of you don't, my name is Troy. You may have seen me walking around campus with my Iron Man arm. If you don't know who Iron Man is, look him up. <laughs> I am a first year exercise and science major from California. I do also play baseball here, and I really love snowboarding. On a more serious note, my story does contain themes of abuse, so if that triggers you in any way, please feel free to step outside. I promise you will not offend me at all. To give you a little background, if you look at the screen, this is my high school, Rancho Buena Vista. To give you the layout of this high school, it has two sections. The upper section, which contains the gym and all the classrooms, and the lower section, which contains all the sports complexes. But more importantly, it contains a green grass meadow with a fence. And on the other side of this fence, there is a highway. To begin, it is my freshman year. I'm standing at a whopping five foot 90 pounds and my parents are going through a nasty divorce. There are a lot of problems back at home. So me starting this new year, it's giving me hope, a fresh start, a blank slate. The first day goes by, 
and it's my second period. Second period finally ends, and lunchtime hits. So I'm walking alongside the gym, and I find this nice little wooden bench. I sit down, whip around my backpack, and pull out a brown sack. This is the lunch that my dad had prepared the day before. Now in this sack, there was a ham and cheese sandwich, a lime green Gatorade, and some Lay's. Now as I'm about to take this first bite, I feel something, a presence standing behind me. And I turn around to see about a 5859, 160-pound kid wearing red and white Jordans, beige khaki pants, and a white polo shirt with blonde hair and blue eyes. For the sake of the story, we're gonna call him Joel. Joel looks me dead in my eyes and tells me, you are the smallest kid I have ever seen in my life. Then he proceeds to take my ham and cheese sandwich and throw it onto the roof along with my other lunch. Him and all of his friends standing behind him start hysterically laughing at me. And I do too, because I don't know what's happening. And as a coping mechanism, I start laughing as well. For the next two weeks to maybe a month, daily hazing incidents will occur from them randomly punching me in the face in the hallway, tripping my lunch, destroying my computer, taking my backpack, or just pantsing me in front of the whole PE classroom. Now, I just thought this was new freshman hazing, so to call it, so I developed a plan. I was going to hide until they just forgot about me. So the next day, I'm walking alongside the football field and I find this off-campus bathroom. Now, this bathroom had two stalls, concrete walls, plastered with graffiti and absolutely reeked of weed. To everyone else, this is the most disgusting bathroom on the planet. But to me, this was my safe haven. So for the next week or so, I would go in there every day, sit on the floor, and just eat my lunch. Until one day, the door slams against the concrete. I just assume it's another smoker. And so I peep under the stall and see red and white Jordans. Come out, Troy, he said, and my body began to tense. Like I had sleep paralysis when I was awake, I was frozen with fear until I see two arms reach under the stall and start to yank me. He puts me onto my back and I start holding the bottom of this stall for dear life. But then again, I'm only five foot 90 pounds, so I don't put much of a fight. He yanks me right underneath his legs and I look up at his blue eyes filled with so much hate. And he begins to beat on me again and again and again. This was the first real day that I thought I was gonna tell my dad about the issues back at home until I saw him crying on the couch from the divorce. And that's when I knew that I had to man up and solve my problems on my own. So the next day, I thought of a new idea, a more permanent solution to my problem. So I was walking alongside this green grass meadow, alongside the fence, and I see this little hole in it, just big enough for me to fit through. So I crawl through, and I did it. I'm out of the school. I walk all the way up the highway, and I see a 7-Eleven. I walk inside, I buy my favorite candy, Airheads, walk out, and I find this little gas station right connected to 7-Eleven. I go up, and there's this little ledge you can lay on. I open my Airheads, pop one into my mouth, and for the first time in my life, I really felt safe. These little Airheads gave me a sense that I was finally free from the atrocities happening back at school. So I did this every day for a month, on repeat, crawl out the fence, go up to the 7-Eleven, buy my airheads, lay down, and exist. And I was happy. Until one day, as I'm sneaking around from second period, I turn over my left shoulder, and I see Joel, and his gang of posse staring right at me. I began to run, run faster than I ever have in my entire life. 
as if my feet were gliding beneath me. I see the fence, and I see the green grass meadow, until I look over to see Joel and his posse right behind me. I dive through the fence, and swing cuts on my arms and legs from the loose wiring, and my head hits the pavement, and I go dark. Until I hear this little voice in my head telling me, run, run. So I push off and just keep running. I run until I don't stop, until I hear Joel scream, I know where you go now. I run into 7-Eleven, buy my candy, go alongside, back to this, go alongside back to the gas station, lay down, and I begin to cry. I have cried so much that day. I probably cried so much, in fact, that I rivaled the Niagara Falls for how much water was physically coming out of my eyes. I curled up in a ball and I laid there until I heard the school bell ring, and that was my time to go home. I walked back to my apartment, opened my door, saw my dad crying on the couch again, and I just ran into his arms and cried too. I had told him everything. Within four days, he solved the problem, and I would later transfer schools. When you have a problem like mine, or just any problem at all, usually you are taught to man up, or just in general, be a problem solver. But in some problems like this, it is okay to ask for help. It is okay to seek someone to get out of that problem. You don't always have to solve everything on your own. It is okay to ask for help. It is okay to be human. Thank you. Hi, my name is Javier Reyes. I'm from here, Goshen, Indiana. I'm a first year nursing major. This might upset some people, but running. I think it's something that most of us can agree on. Really sucks. <laughs> I grew up playing soccer and baseball, and running laps during practice was never my favorite. I couldn't find a way to really make it fun for myself, even with the teammates and friends around me. I think that most of us can agree if we never had a run again, we probably wouldn't. Because no matter how far you go, it always seems like you end up in the same place. So let's go backwards a little bit to around 2019. It seems like it really didn't happen all that long ago. I was going into my very first year of high school as a freshman, and I followed this exact schedule. I went to school, I came back home, I did my homework, and then I played video games until it was time for bed. It was downright depressing. <laughs> I kept up that schedule for a really long time, and I, it was really rare for me to actually do something different. I was still playing soccer, but I really wasn't taking it all that seriously. I was trapped by my own lack of initiative. I honestly thought that my plan for the future at that time, to become an engineer, was enough for me to just sit back and coast through high school, just doing enough to get through. Fast forward a little bit to December of 2020. I remember a night where I took a good, long, hard look at myself and my situation. I looked at the routine that I put myself in, the lack of ambition that I had, and the absence of life in me. I told myself that this wasn't what I wanted. I wanted something different, something more exciting, something to really liven up myself. So I made some small changes. I started going to the gym a little bit. I joined a club here or there just to take up some of my time. It really wasn't until a year later, at the beginning of my junior year in 2021, where I decided to do something really crazy. 
I decided to join cross country. It really wasn't something that I had planned on doing, but I was convinced to join by my girlfriend who thought I'd be good at it. Being completely honest, I didn't like it at all. Not at first, anyways. The training was always long and hard, and we had to run a minimum of five miles every day with a few exercises sprinkled in between. We even had a meetup on the weekends to run from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. I, <laughs> there were a lot of times where I didn't want, where I really thought hard about skipping practice. The thought of going home, sleeping on my bed, and just staying out of the heat was so appealing to me. I kept telling myself that I had to be stronger than yesterday. I had to make it through just one more day. And in the two years that I ran, I never missed a single practice. Every single day, I kept telling myself, just take that one extra step. Just make one extra mile. Just finish one more practice. And then just like that, we're in October of 2022, and I'm running my final race. It's cold. There are, there are at least 100 different people there. And already, I don't feel like running. As soon as the gun goes off to mark the start of the race, my legs feel like they're made of lead. At the first kilometer, I'm focusing on keeping my breath steady. At two, I'm already getting tired and I have to make sure I stay nice and relaxed. At three kilometers, I'm thinking about how fast this race is going. During most races, I tend to try and keep my mind clear and really ignore the exhaustion since there's not much else to do. But this time, I'm thinking about all those hours I've put in, all the pain that I've endured, and all the passion that I started to gain for the sport. I'm thinking about how hard and how much I've worked just to improve by a handful of seconds each and every time. Four kilometers in, and I'm putting everything I have left in me to finish strong. I look at all the people around me, my parents, my friends, the other racers, and just like that, I'm done. Two years of practice, dedication are over. I never thought that I'd really like running as much as I did. And I always knew that it was a great way to exercise, but I also found that it was a great test of will. I learned that running was a commitment to myself and that I was finally taking some action in my life. I was finally gaining back some control. By the end of those two years, I could really see how far I had gotten since 2019. I wasn't that kid anymore. I had motivations, I had ambitions, and I felt free to do things like today. Running showed me that doing things that are really hard can really get you places. Thank you. I struggled as a kid to keep up with my dad. He walked so fast. My siblings and I used to run errands with him on the weekends. My favorite was Menards. He always knew exactly what he needed and exactly where to find it. Anytime we went anywhere with my dad, he was efficient. So I learned how to be efficient too. I walk fast and I get stuff done. It's a very difficult habit to break and one I didn't think I'd want to break until I walked with Richard. In the spring of 2021, I went on a walk that has since become a memory I hold close. It was one of those friend walks when you have really good conversations about stuff that connects you with the other person. It was early June, and I remember I wore my brown Chacos, my favorite walking shoes. I picked Richard up at his house, and we went to the Dam Pond. If you aren't familiar with the area, the Dam Pond is at one end of a, 
uh, a trail that goes from Goshen Hospital to downtown Goshen. We got out of the car and I locked it before we started walking. Strolling is probably a better word for the way Richard walked. I am not a strolling person. At first, I tried to match his pace, but I think I sped up a little. We ended up meeting in the middle at a good medium pace. It was pretty awkward at first. Richard and I were friends, but we weren't super good friends. And we had gone through this phase when we almost dated, so that didn't help with the awkwardness. But we enjoyed each other's company. After about half an hour of silly conversations about school and the birds we were seeing along the way, we started to warm up to each other and open up a little. It got easier to talk and our feet fell in sync as we connected over childhood memories and our experiences of our parents being divorced. We started to have a really rich conversation and I found myself hanging on to every word he said. Richard was someone who didn't judge, or if he did, he didn't show it. He told me about the time he fell out of the tree and how his arm hurt for a very long time after that, and about the bench he and his sister made but had to leave at their old house when they moved. When we had almost reached the end of the mill race, we turned right instead of going straight and crossed the canal. We walked up the street and turned right again past St. John's Catholic Church and the school there. He told me about the teachers he had when he went to that school and the friends he made. He also told me about the time he got to help with the church service. He was proud of that. We talked a lot, and there was never an awkward silence. Eventually, we turned around and headed back, but when we got closer to the car, I didn't want the walk to be over. So I suggested we take a detour, and another detour, and another, but I ran out of trails, so we went back to the car, and I drove him home. We hung out one over, other time over the summer, and in the fall, we went to cheer on the boys' soccer team at the sectional games. At Thanksgiving, he helped me make pie, and in the winter, we went to the formal dance together. At Christmas, when my sister had COVID, he went with me to buy her groceries. In the spring, I brought him daffodils and asked him to prom. He said he'd think about it. He was kidding. He wore a white tux to match with his friends and a black tie to match my dress, and we danced together. About a month later, the most painful thing that has ever happened to me happened. My mom told me the news through tears on Sunday morning. I screamed, tears streaming down my face and dripping off my chin. On Saturday afternoon, on May 21, 2022, Richard was shot and killed. I hardly ate for days, and what I did eat, I threw up. Months went by, and I tried to be patient with myself and not push myself to go back to the way life was before. I started to reflect on what kind of person Richard was and is and who I want to be. Richard showed me how to slow down and notice the small things. He showed me how to be patient with myself and others. He was patient with me when I wasn't patient with myself. He showed me how to walk slowly. I still walk fast, but walking slow is something I want to do more often. When I walk to class, I like to look up and notice the world around me. It reminds me of Richard, and I feel especially grateful for him in those moments. Thank you.
Thank you again to each of our storytellers for saying yes to bringing your voice into this space. Could we applaud all five of them again one more time? Thank you. In just a minute, I'll dismiss you and ask you, invite you to come down this direction to the fellowship hall where we do have some coffee and cookies today. As I said at the beginning, being up here on stage is a vulnerable space, and so I hope you use this time to seek out our storytellers and let them know that they were heard and their story was well received. These are five amazing first-year students, and we are surrounded by amazing folks here at Goshen College. And so I hope you go about your day today curious about everybody's stories. You're dismissed. <laughs>